so I'm very spiritual. Sometimes before meeting, especially, um, I think there was one time I, I was working, um, I had to go to Malta. The government was waiting for me to make a presentation, a human rights related presentation. Uh, I was met by the Minister of Justice and I walk in and there was like, this is the this is the UN expert coming. And I I freaked out like in the taxi while I was there. I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm in this strange country and I, everyone is waiting to see what I have to do. What if my presentation has a typo? You know, I started going through these things. What if I, I forget? But you know what? I just take this quiet moment by myself before I stepped into the room and I said, Lord, guide me. Lord, give me the wisdom. Lord, let my knowledge stick. Lord, use me as an instrument to support these people. So there's that prayer thing that I do for a minute and I just pause and then I affirm myself and I say, you are enough. You are just as good as everyone in that room. You went to good universities, good schools, you have a good family. You are listening to Concrete Pastures Podcast. I am Nancy Mlemoisisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a space that allows for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We unlock the joys, the laughs, and the bravery that being a dreamer brings. So subscribe and stay a while as we dive into today's episode. Our guest today is a true definition of phenomenal woman. I was first moved by her story on Africana woman with my girl Chulu. She is so inspiring. She is a huge supporter of women's empowerment, feminist, a co-founder of Phenomenal Women Global. Her name is Lisa Sikanja. She is an international human rights lawyer. Lisa's career path in human rights was profoundly influenced by the genocide that occurred in Rwanda, which caused an apparently visible influx of refugees in Uganda. Lisa has worked for United Nations for 17 years as a human rights officer in different capacities in Geneva, Kenya, and Zimbabwe. Lisa is also a co-founder and CEO of Phenomenal Woman Global PWG, an ardent advocate for gender equality and women rights, especially for women of African descent. She co-founded this non-profit organization based in Geneva, Switzerland and Uganda. PWG's mission is to connect, advance and empower women by providing leadership training, mentorship for women and girls. Lisa has also worked with several NGOs, including Save the Children Norway in Uganda as the program coordinator, social protection. Welcome, Lisa. Fresh off our Zambian soil. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be on this program. Thank you for the invite. It's exciting. Oh my God, I am so excited. You know, the first time I heard your um, episode on Africana Woman with my girl Chulu, 
I was so moved. There was so much packed in that episode. And for anybody, uh, I would encourage for you guys to hear the full story of Lisa's um, episode. It was so moving. I didn't even know, like, just having not heard that episode, I would not know that you've lived in Zambia. I'll just assume right away. But I want to start from where you are. You are in Geneva. How was it getting integrated in Geneva? Well, um, it was exciting. Um, for me, first of all, it was exciting because I never really expected to work here. I came on a short contract, um, expecting to stay for three months and leave, come back to Uganda. Um, so, I mean, I've lived in Europe before. I studied in the UK um, at university level. Um, so I wasn't really expecting so much difference, but of course the language, um, with my basic French coming to work um, with an international organization, the UN, I, um, you know, 80% of the people you're surrounded by, like the community speaks French and mm. the rest English, I mean, at work. But um, so there were those language barriers, um, but I learned French. I went for classes and now I'm, you know, I'm really fully um, fluent. Yeah. So firstly, yeah, there was that language barrier. And then of course you're living in a space where you are a minority. So you, you know, there are less, there are many, there's some African people. Yes, there are many, but in your workspace, sometimes you can be the only person of color in like in a meeting. Um, so there are those challenges that you deal with navigating those spaces where sometimes you get imposter syndrome, um, you know, am I meant to be here? Or other times people um, try to suss you out and, and and maybe sometimes try to undermine you. Mm -hmm. um, so it takes some time, you you know, you prove yourself. Once you know your stuff, you prove yourself. And, and when they see that you're smart and you know your stuff, then, you know, they're more accepting of you. So. There are all those layers that you have to deal with. And then, of course, the, the social side. Um, I had a son and, you know, just sort of, um, sort of, you know, letting my son settle in a new environment coming from Uganda. Um, also him in that school space, being a minority and how to deal with um, issues where, you know, the color of your skin really stands out. And sometimes mm -hmm. children are like, why, you know, is your skin so dark? So, you know, just navigating the, the racial aspects and the social aspects of that. Um, but, however, you know, Switzerland is a beautiful place. It's organized, it's clean and it's safe. It's it's the, 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 the only country in the world where I feel safe to walk out at three in the morning without worrying about my security. Um, so that was like a huge plus. Security is so important. And I know that a lot of times back home in Africa, you can't even you know, walk by yourself late in the no. night down on the street. Yeah, so for me, that was like a paradise, you know? Wow. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And uh, talking about imposter syndrome, how were you able to, uh, you know, overcome that? Because a lot of us experience it. I've been in a lot of rooms where I'm the only black person and it, you feel it, whether you like it or not. It's just like, oh my God. And I've definitely felt the same feeling of, do I really belong here? And it's a fight. <laughs> yeah, and it's two ways. It's as a woman, because sometimes I would be amongst the only women in a room. And then of course, being a black woman, that's double. 
Yeah. Um, so what I would do is I would make sure I, if it's a meeting that I'm, I'm being, I'm part of, and I have to make a presentation, I would really study my stuff. I would become the expert, and I'll read even past what I was had come to do, so that I, I, you know, I give statistics, I give scenarios, and so knowledge, just having the right knowledge and enough knowledge, um, mastering your subject matter wherever you are, it gives you that security. But then I would also, I'm very spiritual. Um, sometimes before meeting, especially, um, I think there was one time I, I was working, um, I had to go to Malta and um, the government was waiting for me to make a presentation, a human rights related presentation. Uh, I was met by the Minister of Justice and I walk in and there was like, this is the, this is the UN expert coming. And I, I freaked out like in the taxi while I was there, I was like, oh my God. You know, I'm in this strange country and I, everyone is waiting to see what I have to do. What if my presentation has a typo? You know, I started going through these things. What if I, I forget? Um, but you know what? I just take this quiet moment by myself before I stepped into the room. And I said, Lord, guide me. Lord, give me the wisdom. Lord, let my knowledge stick. Lord, use me as an instrument to support these people. So there's that prayer thing that I do for a minute and I just pause and then I affirm myself and I say, you are enough. You are just as good as everyone in that room. You went to good universities, good schools, you have a good family. And I always remind myself that I'm representing many people. So it's not just me, I'm representing my mom. I'm representing my grandmother. And you know this saying, I think I heard Oprah Omaya Angelou say, when you're in that space, just say, come mom, you, you know, you just say it to yourself, come grandma, all the people who um, support you, you, you kind of call on them in your spirit and you get into that room knowing, yes, they're away in Africa or wherever, but in spirit, um, they're actually with me. And, and those practices have, have actually um, strengthened me and helped me quite a bit. That's so beautiful. I pray a lot. And in a lot of rooms that I get in, I definitely uh, try to pray. Even before a podcast, a recording, I do. Oh, wow. Amazing. <laughs> no, you never know what comes out of you. Sometimes we do talk and I want, the, the goal is not even what I want. It's the goal is to be able to impact others because this platform is really for everyone. So that that's amazing actually having that in you having faith in, in in something believing in something bigger than yourself to give you that strength yes. and courage really really beautiful i also want to touch on your son because this is something that goes on here in america i live in new york and we have a lot of racism how have you been able because i know you're very vocal about it and I saw an article, a um, new vision that you had talking about racism. How have you been able to, let's say, educate, I guess, your children on how to navigate racism in school? Because that's something that a lot of us immigrants experience and we brush it under the rug. And because it's not even on purpose, it's just we don't know how to go about it the right way on how to advise our children to go the right way? I think by encouraging them, first of all, to speak up. Um, I have two sons, one who's 23 and one who's eight. 
so the with the eight-year-old one i haven't yet embarked on it really but I try to I buy books and I think most of the books are from the US actually but they're sold in stores here um I buy books that talk about that have black culture mm. um talk about our hair talk about different things and talk about differences so my 8-year-old now has a book um that is you know has diverse characters in so that he can know and appreciate also that black people um have achieved great things you know these some of these books are about people who've achieved who are scientists who are architects who are warriors and and so i start first of all by affirming that because i think in the beginning at one point he said he he said to me all his friends are white why can't he be white and i said to him no because we are from africa and our skin is dark and our skin is beautiful and we also you know we come from this heritage so i started to affirm him and by the end of the year he was like um i i i actually um i don't know if you've seen this experiment um, that they did in the US where they asked black children about dolls there's a white doll and a black doll and they asked yep. which one is more beautiful mm-hmm. so um i asked my son um i tried to do it on him just to see you know after all this work i had done what kind of um who was the better doll and he pointed at the black doll and then i said why and then she he said to me i like her hair so he didn't even talk about the skin he he said i like her hair it's like mummy's and so i i was very happy that he said that because you know when you look at videos um in the past and and how children were indoctrinated or raised that um white skin was better or lightness was better and black was bad but he when he said that i was like okay i think i'm making a little bitty difference from the the beginning of the year and then um secondly um i also um i speak to the teachers so with the older child i think we had an incident we had an incident where um one of the kids said they didn't want to play with him because he was black so my oldest son was 23 um they didn't want to share a game he was passing his new game around and he didn't want to share it with him so he came back from school really sad and uh, i um i approached the teacher and i said you know this happened um to my son can you do something about it and he she she said she attempted to talk to the parents but then i said why don't we do something more proactive um and then she was like okay let's let's choose africa as our country of focus and let each kid pick a country study it and present something mm-hmm. um because i think what was going on is some kids would say things like oh you're from africa it's very poor you know there was that kind of rapport going on and so um when the kids were doing all this research and this is a very good teacher that you know she she um decided to focus on this just to help with an issue and she was american and this is in a in, in the international school here um that was quite good for him because um you know all the kids were researching and finding this diamonds this this so it was educational and he had a sense of pride so i did work with the teacher on on that and then you know she was like and an african mom is coming to talk to us <laughs> and so and so wow. i went to school though i didn't really put on my wakanda hat because i had my suit on from work but at least uh, you know i i kind of um spoke about it um so you know kind of speaking out uh, being sensitive to what they're going through and yeah. trying to get the administration to support 
Um, we're not as advanced as the U.S. in dealing with such things here because Swiss people usually tend to ignore or think that people are oversensitive. Um, but when the George Floyd incident happened in the U.S., yeah. um, they became proactive and the government intentionally also, especially Geneva, created a budget for Black Lives Matter and for organizations dealing with racism. And um, so we... My organization, Phenomenal Women Global, was a beneficiary of this. So we also did, for example, um, a documentary on racism um, and, you know, looking at children's views of racism. But we also had webinars. We've had um, sessions with yeah. the members of parliament in Geneva and um, other activists um, just to talk about it, to talk about the legislation, to talk about how they're tackling racism mm -hmm. because... Um, you know, studies here show most of the racism is in employment and in housing. So when people are looking for houses, um, so at least um, the authorities are cognizant of that and trying to work towards it. But, you know, just creating that platform where you can speak, I think is one of the most powerful things. And, and for me, it's deep because I know my children are growing up here and anything little I can do to improve the situation to me is, is, is huge for them. And um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's really, really that, that's beautiful because um, it, it's a struggle for all of us parents. Um, I know if, here in the US, um, it's a bit better when it comes to certain laws, but still we, we, we're having challenges. That's why uh, I wanted to find out like how it is in Geneva and how you've been able to deal with it. So far, I think you guys are, um, are doing good in that in that direction okay. um so i want to uh, go into what you do you are an international human rights lawyer working uh, as a human rights officer with the united nations at the headquarters in geneva what's your day like what is really like? say that much but i i will say in general my role is to support member states of the united nations promote and protect human rights. So that can range from, um, you know, advising uh, legislatively on human rights in various countries. Um, I'm a desk officer for South Africa and Malawi, or um, that can also involve providing um, trainings. It can uh, involve um, supporting them to report to the United Nations, giving them all the procedural and substantive um, uh, support and just providing technical support. So it, so it, every day I'm either in a meeting, a webinar, or looking at some uh, letters or laws that have come in and supporting technically the specific countries that I cover um, and also the colleagues who are working in the field. The reason why I asked, I wanted to get back to what you did share with Chulu. Um, Again, for anybody listening, watching, it's a, a whole picture of who Lisa is and uh, it gives so much details. You did share about a child soldier um, initiative that you started. Is this why you got into yes. this work? Do yeah, we well, my history of, of working in human rights is quite um, diverse um, because as a as in, as a kid, um, I, I told you our parents were exiled. We lived in Zambia because of the political situation at the time in Uganda. So I grew up in Zambia and much as we did flee and 
could be categorized as refugees. My my parents never actually applied for refugee status because yeah. they were professionals and they were so confident that they would get a job. So we were immigrants, let's just say, and they both got great jobs. My dad was uh, working Zambia National Commercial Bank. He's a banker, and my mom was um, working in the court at the magistrate in uh, Lusaka. Nice. So, um, but however, we would um, go back when they changed um, presidents. We went back once, and the current president at the time was using child soldiers. And and I was like ten when we had gone for our first visit after leaving when I was like two or something like that. And I remember these children manning the roadblocks and as soldiers. And at the same time, they were children because they saw my brother's ball and they asked, can we play with it? Yet, you know, they're also supposed to be holding arms and, and you know, they probably come from war. Yeah. Um, so that image stuck in my head because as a kid, you don't understand it. And of course, I asked my parents, but they were so busy trying to ensure that we're safe. Um, but years later, um, I got a job with... Um, when I was doing my master's, I decided to do my thesis on child soldiers. And so as I did this thesis, I thought about that child and maybe he's now grown up like me and what is he doing? Um, but there were many of such people, but they were being slowly demobilized and integrated in society. So when I did that thesis, um, I applied for a job with Save the Children and I, I really emphasized that I had worked in this you know, with child soldiers because they were, they had a program on child soldiers. And so I did get the job and wow. I I was in charge of um, violence and abuse and also, you know, supporting the programs um, with other colleagues, uh, ensuring these soldiers are reintegrated, um, receive counseling and just monitoring the programs that other um, civil society actors were doing. Um, so for me, it was, um, it was kind of like a full circle moment, like from seeing this when you're a child doing a thesis and now you're working on it. So I felt, you know, I could see why it was happening. What was the strategy of, of you know, political leaders using children, knowing that children are vulnerable, can easily be indoctrinated, they're indoctrinated um, and, you know, they, they, they can easily hide, they can make bombs. You know, they they can do lots of things in their small bodies. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a full circle moment. It was a great experience working um, with those children and, and just being part of history. You know, the many people who are supporting to reintegrate children and to um, ban the use of child soldiers. And I think now, of course, there's an international prohibition. There are treaties that... Um, prevent states from using um, children in armed conflict. That's amazing. Uh, and um, the thing is, just listening to that episode, when I was listening to it, I thought, my, my, my first thought was, how do you remove yourself? Because if you're working with a child soldier, they probably, their mentality is not like the same as the same child with the same age. Mm. And how do you disconnect even when you go home from those moments that you're interacting with those children how were you able to disconnect i think just with humor and just with um i think at the time also it was not so advanced to have like a psychologist psychologist or a, you know um a formal process like people do now so we would do 
um, maybe at work we would do like feedback sessions um, just of your day there okay. but um, at home I I I would try and do other things or to joke about it um, I know it sounds insensitive but I remember yeah. there was a time I was in the um, the room with uh, the children who had just been demobilized and you know they would have toys they would have art and so they would usually paint guns and bombs you know <laughs> like when we'd ask them it was a form of therapy but uh, in the center they would do stuff like that and one time one of them was playing with bricks and um, I was like oh okay what are you making and he says I'm making a gun you know and he's six years old and he was like and he was so serious so I was like so when I go home I would be like <laughs> with my kids I'm making a gun you know like yeah. and laugh. Yeah. But it was also just a way of, you know, like de-stressing from uh, from this, but um, knowing obviously that it does affect you and it does, you know, sometimes you are angry, um, mm-hmm. but at least they're going through rehab and it takes a while, but um, it's for a good cause. There's a lot of people that are doing some of your work and um, that's the reason why I'm asking because... Uh, people from Sudan right now, what's happening in Sudan, uh, Ukraine, a lot of different countries, just to name a few. Um, it's just maybe someone, we could help someone while they're listening to this. Because not, therapy mm. is not everywhere uh, in these type of yeah. moments. It can be really challenging because some people are not able to remove themselves from a lot of situations, especially those that involve children. Um, but thank you for and sharing. I agree. I agree. I think also another thing is to make sure you take breaks. A lot of people get burned out doing human rights and humanitarian work, but it's very you have to be very intentional. And that's why even I was in Zambia for that writer's retreat, because I also realized that the work we do can be quite demanding mm-hmm. and you do have to switch off and just be with family, be zen yeah. and silence and just enjoy nature and then come back to the rat race. Tell me about Zambia. How was Zambia before I jump onto a a different topic? Zambia was nice. I mean, um, it's the place of my childhood. Uh, I still have a couple of friends that I'm in touch with. And for me, Zambians are among the most friendly people, the most carefree. um, You know, they're not complicated people, you know. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. So... (laughs) I was happy to be there, especially to go to the Zambezi um, Basin region. I know that they're trying to do a bit of mining there and there's some environmental cases. Yeah. But um, for me, I, it was just took me back to my childhood when my parents would, during holidays, drive us to the national parks. And it, I, it was just like going back on memory lane, yes. Oh, wow. No, I'm glad you had a good time with my girl Chulu, and um, I've seen a lot on Instagram. Guys, visit Africana Woman, it's there, and the whole trip, she has lots of pictures, and you guys are all sharing. Are you going to um, Morocco also? No, unfortunately I can't, because we do have our Phenomenal Women Global Conference 23rd September, but I would have if, um, and hopefully next time we can coordinate our calendars so that we can participate in each other's events because Chulu also wanted to come for the conference. Being an immigrant can be hard, 
having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash concrete pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with better health and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours. Talking about phenomenal women global. Hey, you are the founder of uh, the organization and yeah. um, what got you to do uh, to actually get this organization started? Um, I was actually, at the UN, I was actually um, uh, put in a, in a leadership course for UN United, Women in the United Nations. Um, it was called Emerge. So it was sort of like for middle level um, staff members. And I had never really done a fully fledged leadership course like this, which was brilliantly arranged where we would have different top leaders of the United Nations um, speak to us. And we had different sessions on networking, communication, innovation. And this program was really an eye opener for me. Um, and even though in this program, we were only like two women um, from the continent, from the motherland. Yeah. And I felt, you know, diversity in many organizations is hard to achieve. and. I felt in this space, um, if I'm to grow, and there's only one person who looks like me in such a course, um, it, it's really, you know, it puts us as, at a disadvantage. So um, in that thinking space of the leadership course, I was, um, I also was assigned a mentor and a coach. And one of the first things the coach asked me is, what is your bigger vision in life? No one had ever asked me that. I was there saying, I need to get a promotion. I need to learn all these skills. And she was like, a promotion to do what? And I said, you know, to to, to be a leader, to, to be a manager. And she was like, okay, but what is your bigger, what have, has the universe, as they put it, but for me it was God put you in this world to be. And for me, it was a turning point because I was like, it made me think, and I, my passion was really like to support people, especially women of color, navigate those spaces, be able to grow and get promoted and do great things, deal with issues like imposter syndrome. And because this course really helped me, as I did it, I did get my promotion in the process because I, I learned all these tools of how to navigate those spaces. And I said, this information in this course can really help other women, especially women of color. And so I decided to found the organization and do a conference where we would get people on board to share their stories, women in, you know, in the highest level of their field. So we do invite very, you know, CEOs, UN experts, uh, judges, 
um, bankers, whatever it is, it's it's interdisciplinary, it's intergenerational. So yes. all generations share their stories, but at the same time, we also do workshops to deal, you know, on different issues: leadership, entrepreneurship, communication, and anything that can support you in your career journey, in your leadership journey, in your business journey. Um, and so that's how we started in 2018 with one ended up doing one in Geneva, one in the US, one in um, in uh, Zimbabwe, one in South Africa, one in Italy. So we've just gone global and we have focal points. We have we have a movement going on of women, all women, but within that conference setting, we do discuss issues that are very specific to women of color, you know, the race card, the race issues, <laughs> the discrimination issues, the, yeah. the devil whammy all that work-life balance you know marriage divorce you know we do have sessions where we go into closed session and say how do we support each other how do we have that sisterhood where we are building and not bringing each other down but we are even able to be there for each other beautiful beautiful um you guys are having an event you as you mentioned uh, a month from now actually before <laughs> a, a month to date so september 23rd yes. uh so for someone let's say they want to sign up what does that look like if they come to the event well um we have a conference dedicated page so if you go to phenomenalwomenglobal.com all the information is there um we just closed for speakers, we had sent a call out for speakers. It closed 31st, um, I think it closed 31st of July. Um, but we're still taking side events because we do have, we want to have a few events to the lead up of the conference. So we've got a couple of them. But if you sign up, um, the theme is her voice. So this is a very broad theme, but a lot of things have happened with and to women this year in the political space. There are a lot of women leaders, um, presidents, uh, parliamentarians, politicians, a lot of women rising up um, globally around the world, mayors and that sort of thing. So we were looking at um, women in politics, women in literature, women affected by um, humanitarian situations like climate change, um, wars, and uh, those are kind of some of the key panels. But we do have within that same setting in the afternoon, we have workshops where we will actually learn more like about communication, uh, effective communication, because we do need that as a leaders. And if we we are to be more vocal and use our voice, we have to learn how to communicate in difficult situations, communicate with diplomacy when we need stuff, communicate with our colleagues, with our spouses, with our children, communicate in a non-violent way as well. So that's one of the workshops. And then one of another workshop is on work-life balance. I think this is a key area where mothers, yeah. where CEOs of our homes. Yes. We are CEOs of the home. You're managing the budget, the children, the transport, the clothing, right? And then yeah. you go to work. You're managing people, projects. And then, you know, then you go to your country. You're managing your, your parents. They're old. You want to support them. Yeah. So we're CEOs everywhere. So... How do we balance that, you know, and still have our voice? So, and then we have, what's the other um, workshop on um, gender-based violence? Of course, this is something that really limits the woman's voice. 
Um, I've worked in this area um, previously in a, in a job and violence against women is common. Um, even here in Switzerland, it went up during the pandemic, though many cases. I think in many countries it went up. And once you go through that, your voice can be shut down for a while. So how do you come out of that? How do you do you bring back your confidence and etc.? So we will have a session on that. And yeah, so there's quite a lot of things on the plate. And because it's her voice, we will also have a musician and a poet in between so that we're not so bogged down with this knowledge, but we relax and hear a woman's beautiful voice. And I think lastly, I mean, there is a market space as well. We always promote women in the conferences, women's businesses, especially women of color minorities. We ask, we encourage them to buy a table, talk about their business in the breaks and so that people can support them. So for someone, let's say they cannot make it, is there any virtual way they can join? Yeah, we, we're trying to see... Um, how we can do that for some of the sessions, but not all. Yes, and definitely for the side events leading up to the conference, um, we will have them both virtual because there'll be smaller groups, of course. Okay, so what does that look like if you guys decide to do uh, virtual? How much is the fee so others can start preparing? Do you guys have a Um, Yes, so we are selling tickets, first of all, for the grand conference. Um, through, through our website that will direct you to Eventbrite for those who um, want to pay through the Eventbrite PayPal thing. Nice. Um, for those residents in Switzerland, they also have an option of paying through Twint, which is like our mobile money here thing. Nice. Um, and then um, for the side, so if you have a ticket for the main conference, you can attend all the side events for free. But if you just decide to attend the side event, there will be um, a fee for those um, who are resident here and want to physically go. But we're still debating um, the online version, whether to charge or not, but we most likely will not charge for our subscribers and for our members and just charge for other people. So there will be like, um, you know, a, a way for people to sign in and, and um, yeah, go into the rooms. Oh, nice. Um, it's phenomenal women global only in uh, Geneva. No, we we have our headquarters in Geneva, yes, um, but we do have an office in Uganda. We have a focal point for Southern Africa, who is based in Zimbabwe and South Africa. She was also part of the Zambia event. We have a focal point in Italy. We have a focal point in the U.S. Uh, we have a focal point in Canada in Ghana and um, where have I left out anything? I think those are the countries, yeah, the main country in France, France. So how do people join? Let's say that you just, do you just subscribe or how do people get to join? There is a fee um, on the website phenomenalwomenglobal.com. You go to the membership site. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hundred Swiss francs or a hundred dollars a year for those living outside of Africa. Okay. And for those in Africa, it's $30 um, a year. And when you subscribe, yes, you receive information and you get discounts for most of the events. And we also prioritize members as speakers, coaches, um, because we have your information in our database. So if we need a trainer for something, we usually first look at our members list and contact them and then, you know, then send a call out. 
Definitely an amazing organization. And when I was actually, the first time I listened to your episode with Chulu, I did look into their website and the amazing things that you guys are doing. It's beyond. It's exceptional work that you guys have been putting out there, helping women. Anything else you want to share on Phenomenal Women Global? Only that, yeah, we're fundraising. We'd love to partner with different organizations to, who are interested in supporting women. We do have coaching and mentorship services. So another way is also companies or organizations can approach us and we can organize a mentorship program um, for them. Yeah. Uh, but we would like to partner, we would encourage people to donate and support us so we can reach out to, to more women. Yeah. Fabulous. No, amazing. You are a phenomenal woman. And thank, thank you. you for this organization that you've opened up to all of us. You've done so much. You continue to do so much for all of us. Do you feel you found your concrete pastures? I think I'm still a work in progress. I have, but of course, with everything, finances are issues that you can only do what with what you have mm -hmm. um, and obviously I would like to do much more um, finances willing um, and of course I'm the kind of person who wouldn't mind retiring a bit earlier than the retirement age so I can work on my passions so that I can do that when I'm still looking young and good but also I'm a writer in I haven't yet published but I'm about to and I feel that once my my two books come out um and hopefully by next year one of them will be out first and see how that goes um i feel like i would be sort of on the road to leaving a legacy in a book because all my experience will be encapsulated in this book that can live on okay. even if i you know even when i pass on people can say this is you know this these are some of the things that are important and useful for women and men um and 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 for me then i would have feel i would feel like okay i'm on the road to something of course there are many things that you know other things that i i i want to do like personally to to you know to grow myself but this, this is just one of them and of course um my children being successful and safe and and happy and contributing to this world mm. that makes it easier for them to navigate those spaces for me that's that's very important and of course I don't want to be a grandmother yet in my <laughs> 50s so I know that that is coming but I would love to um, of course I would love my older son to meet someone nice and you know to be able to settle and and for me to be a grandmother maybe in my 50s Okay. Oh, 60s. <laughs> <laughs> and you still be looking just like this, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will, you will. Um, definitely, I mean, Louisa, there's so much, even if you, you, once you release your book, I don't know what the title is, you are definitely an extension of, you know, so much that you've done and there's going to be so much that people are going to take off from what you have done already. Phenomenal Women does so much. I can't even stress this enough. And then the work that you've done, you cannot 
and I estimate that once the book comes out, that will be definitely an extension of what you leave as your legacy to for years to come, for other people to reference to, and you have your own extensions through that. So I can't wait for the book to come out. Do you have a title yet? No, but it focuses a lot on leadership and experiences that um, I'm, I'm co-writing with uh, another a very close friend of mine who has had a similar background. Um, like career background as as me so we sort of it's a book we can't say much until it's published but it's it's kind of you know um illuminates our experiences and um it will help many people um in different spheres professionally and personally this has been an amazing conversation i am so honored to have had a conversation with you here thank you for making time for us and for inspiring us thank you for all you're doing for all of us thank you so much i mean i'm so proud of everything that you managed to achieve and any woman you know uplifting other black women on such platforms deserves such honor and such grace um so you know stay blessed continue what you're doing and um I'm sure you've touched so many people's lives through these stories. It's very important for them, for these stories to come out, for people to be heard. So yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I hope you can come um, for one of our meetings, conferences. And I just wanted to add one thing that Phenomenal Women Global was nominated by Swiss Diversity Uh, Leaders, an organization that deals with diversity in Switzerland, were nominated on the gender um, part of it. Um, so on the 6th September, we shall be um, in Bern, which is the capital of Switzerland, at a dinner as one of the nominees for this award alongside two others. So wish us luck if we get it. And even if we don't, yeah. we were just happy to be nominated in that gender category and um, knowing that the, 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 the Swiss population and community have managed to you know, see us, what we're doing, that we're visible and we're making a difference in this country with 9 million people. So I'm I'm really happy to share that on this and um, I will, you know, maybe let you know what happened yes, on the 6th please, of September. Do share. Do share and we'll definitely share it on Coping Fascist platforms for sure. Oh, thank you so much. Thank no, you so much. And no. thank you for inviting me. No, thank you so, so much for making time for us. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming.